What do you love? And heart focus on 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. A lot of stuff that we... You ever notice how we say that we love a lot of stuff? Come on. I mean, I mean to the point of... I, I've always wondered, I've, I've said it before, I've always wondered, you know, somebody will post a picture and they'll go, oh, I just love my dog. And the next picture they post is a selfie with them and their wife. And they go, oh, I just love my wife. And I'm thinking, well, you know, how's that? <laughs> I love my dog. I love my wife. I love pizza. You know, I watch that show. I love that show. You know, there's, there's words, I think, like this word love, that sometimes we use them and maybe we overuse them. Maybe we overuse them. We use them on stuff to where to point that they lose it, their meaning. Sometimes we just use words that we're so accustomed to using them, we say them because that's what we're supposed to say. And, uh, you know, when you, you look, we even know that's, that's what happens a lot of times in church. It's, I said, it's kind of like the, this Facebook generation thing of, you know, click like. I saw somebody post a thing the other day, and it had the guy, I think he's out of one of the Lord of the Rings deal, and he says, just because you click like does not mean, or just because you, you said praying does not mean that you did it, you know. Hey, we, uh, we'll see somebody. I always wondered exactly, this is just a side note, this, one's, this is free. I always wondered when you're on Facebook and somebody says, you know, going to the hospital, you know, for an emergency, and people click like. Like, <laughs> I'm always like, is that what you're supposed to do? I mean, really? How do you respond to that? You walk out the door, hey, honey, I love you. I know, maybe you really do. And Was there anything really behind that, though, or is that what you're supposed to say when you leave? You see folks at church and, oh, hey, brother, I love you. You know, I just want you to know I love you. We're praying for it. I mean, what does that really mean? And so we're going to see in this passage, we're going to see what is it that you really love, and we're going to talk about that for just a moment, and what do these words really mean. This is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So what does it really mean to love something? If, if we're using the same word to say that we love pizza, to say that we love the dog, to say that we love our wife, to say that we love our car, to say that we love our fishing gear, no, I won't say that. Nobody likes your fishing gear. You love your boat. You love your four-wheeler. You love the TV show. You love the new four-wheel drive that you got. I'm trying to find, I'm just trying to find everything I can hit. Just going, oh, I love, love that new phone they got, you know. Oh, you love your team. Oh. Why, now, why did you go bringing sports into this deal? Now, we didn't have to go there. <laughs> right? I mean, we say we love all this stuff. What does it really mean 
to love something. Well, I want us to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 27 to help us understand this love concept. This is when, remember, a couple weeks ago we talked about this when Jesus is, is sharing with some people and, and there's a young guy that's there that's well-educated and he says uh, he wants to know some things from Christ and, and, and Jesus says to him, says, well, well, what is it you know, that you need to do in order to, to uh, you know, what, what's the law? What is the law? And how, what's it summed up as? And this is what the guy responds and says, he says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and, in, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know that this word love is the same one that was used in the passage that we just read where he said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world? He said, don't have this kind of love. So remember, they had, they had multiple in, in, the, in the Greek language, and, and then even if you went all the way back in the Hebrew and the Old Testament, they had word after word after word for, for things like love. Um, and multiple variations, and they all meant something a little different. But this was the same word that was used when he said, you're supposed to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and then also love your neighbor as yourself. That's the same idea of love when he said, don't love the world that way. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Guess which word is used for God so loved? It's the same word when He said, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. See, God demonstrated a love that he turned around and then said, I want you to have that love back toward me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So God says, I have demonstrated love, this type of love. And then not only have I demonstrated this type of love, but I also am going to then require you to show that kind of love toward me and then toward others, towards your neighbor. But I do not want you to love the world that way. I do not want you to love the things of the world that way. And the concern was that there was going to be a love for the world that was at the same level of love that was supposed to exist for God. That's the challenge is that there's going to be this love that you're supposed to have for God, but it is going to be challenged by your love for the world and the things that are in the world. Now, it makes you have to step back and say, wait a minute, then how would I recognize if I was loving things of the world more than I was loving God. We're going to get to that here in, in just a moment. But he then issued a strong statement in that verse. In fact, let me take you back. Let me take you all the way back to, to this first verse that we read. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen to this, the love of the Father is not in him. That's powerful. That is a very strong statement to say that if you love the world, then the love of God is not in you. 
I mean, he didn't say, well, it's decreased. He didn't say it's a little. He says, look, if you love the world and the things that are in the world, then the love of God is not in you. And there's a verse that we often hear used for other reasons, but when I was reading that, this verse just popped into my head. Because, you know, our heart realistically only has the ability to love and pursue one thing at a time, really. I mean, we, we like to think that we're going to be able to love two opposing things, but you really can't. And the Bible made that clear. It's not some, it's not some uh, philosophical thought or anything like that. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And this is where we always use this is because of this next statement, you cannot serve God in money. So people always get hung up, oh, this, is a ver- this just teaches a verse, a, a, a thought about money, pursuing money and pursuing God. No, there's a, there's a foundational truth in this scripture. Take the money thing out for just a moment. He just says you can't serve two masters. You can't love the world and the things that are in the world and then say that you love God. Because it's not possible. They're they're diametrically opposed to each other. If you're going to pursue God, think about it, then remember you talked about those that turn the world upside down have come here too when they were talking about the people come to Jason's house. He says those that have turned the world upside down, if you want to be first, you need to be last, the Bible says. If you want to live, you need to die. If you want to receive, you need to give. See, it's diametrically opposed to what we think of within the world. Everything in the world says, well, to get ahead, then you need to climb over everybody else. You need to you push them aside. Do it. And he says, hey, those that, that want to lead, you need to be willing to be the servant. Yes. If you want to be first, you need to be last. How, what? <laughs> Come on. I mean, right, that's, that's not what they're going to teach you in school. That's not what they're going, they're going to teach you. That's not what, anybody, it's not what anybody's going to teach you in a business class. They're, not going, they're going to say, hey, you need to pursue more. You need to work harder. You need to be better. You need, hey, and, and, it, and it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. I always tell you all, we have sayings that tell us what we really believe. Right? All you got to do is think back to all these old sayings that you used here, and they tell you a lot about how the world perceives the society and the environment around us. It's dog eat dog world. You got to look out for number one. one. That's not God's way. No. That's not God's way. And he says, and you can't serve that kind of way without hating the other. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's such a struggle. It's why that that I always hear people say things like, oh. You know, if, if, if the enemy could, if he could just kill you, his desire is he wants to take you out of this world. That is a lie from the devil himself. He does not want to take you out. He absolutely wants to make you lukewarm and ineffective. Because when Christianity starts to no longer be what God intended for it to be, and it becomes more like the world, that is what draws people away. Because they go, I can do that. I can do that deal. I still get to pursue to be number one. I'm going to throw this out there, and I, you know, some of y'all may have seen it, you may not, but I'm going to tell you, it has pervaded even into the church world. I, I watched a sermon 
um, this past week. I kept seeing it pop up on, on social media. And, and a pastor in a church in Atlanta made a, made a strong statement in the middle of a sermon. He came out and he said, if you are attending a small church and you are making your children go to a small church that is not large enough to have a separate youth group for middle school and for high school, then you are being selfish. <laughs> you are being selfish and you are harming your children and you need to find you a big old church and start going to it. I was like, wow. He got a lot of backlash. I mean, he got a lot of backlash that happened and to the point that he ended up having to come back and say, and then it got worse, you know, because sometimes, you know, when you, you think about this for a moment, you can't get out of a hole by digging. Y'all get that in a minute, you know. Can't get out of a hole by digging. And he came out and said, well, I didn't mean for that. Even though, I mean, they're like broadcast video nationally, internationally, you know. I didn't mean this for everybody. There. I meant this for my people at my church. Well, they got, I think it's 40,000 people or 10, 6 campuses, you know, or whatever. And, and finally, but somebody asked him, they said, well, don't you understand that your church started small? He says, well, I didn't mean like all small churches. I... <laughs> Look, what's coming out of that mindset is a consumerism mindset about church. See, that's when, when, when the church starts to become more like the world than becoming more like Christ then all of a sudden what we start promoting is things that make sense to the world when they hear them. See, the world would listen to that. People that, that have not yet come to faith in Christ, people would hear that and go, well, that makes sense to me. I mean, if you've got an option of going over here or you've got an option of going over here, look at all this stuff that they can offer. So we should go over here. See, that's the problem then that starts to happen with us in our personal lives. I mean, think of the things that, that are affecting our our personal lives in America. Somebody sees that somebody else gets a bigger house. Well, we need to have a bigger house. Why shouldn't we have that? Somebody sees that somebody has a newer car. Well, well we need a newer car. Why? We, ought to, we ought to pursue that. Well, and, and I say it a lot because I, marriage is so important. Is Somebody looks and goes, well, wait a minute, you know, that guy's wife, he just got married, and she's a lot prettier than... Well, middle-aged men, right? They go off. Women do the same thing. Now, now you've got websites and all kind of stuff. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Why? Because you start looking and going, oh, why does... so you start having a, a worldly mindset. There are people in the church. I mean, it's sad. You, you'll hear of, you'll hear of a, a pastor and a, and a secretary or one of the deacons and somebody else. Why? Because they decide, I, I need something different. I need something exciting. I need something new. I need world's mindset. When you start serving something other than God's intent, then life begins to change, and all of a sudden you love the world and the things that are in the world. I, I thought that was very interesting. He actually distinguished two separate statements there. He said if you love the world and the things that are in the world. Some people really aren't hung up with possessions, but they are hung up with a lot of other things in the world and that we're going to see in the three distinctions. He made these three separations and he said the areas that drive this inappropriate love were the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, so we know that sounds really bad, you know. 
Oh my goodness, he, he used the L word. That's a four-letter word too, by the way. Who <laughs> used the lust word? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. So, all right, what do those things really mean? I mean, they sound bad and it's all great, but you know, what does it really mean? Lust of the flesh. It's a desire to please and gratify fleshly pleasures. Now, I thought this was interesting. I was reading one commentary. It said, in years past, this was often referred to as luxury. Oh. Uh-oh. Now, see, we don't, we don't. Now, look. Look. How many of y'all know that, like, when you go to buy a car, you know, now they'll have all these different models. Berg probably has to tell us what some of the models are from Hunter. But, you know, back in the day, they, they would have these. You'd have like a DS, an EX, an LS. I always thought, you know, every time I saw LS, that thing was so good looking, I always thought, that's luxury. <laughs> luxury sedan. You know, and you would, so when you go to buy something, it doesn't matter what it is. You'll often see, they'll say, well, this is the basic you ever notice when somebody's trying to sell you something that they'll go, well, now this is the basic model, but then we have, we have this, uh, this next model. It's the deluxe model. And then if you really want to, want to go over the top for your wife, oh, see, if they're selling you and they know you're buying for a spouse, you're in trouble, then this is the luxury model. Doesn't your wife deserve that? <laughs> You can't tell anybody's ever tried to sell me something like that. And I'm not going to say whether or not I've ever bought it because of that either, but <laughs> I mean, just tell the truth. Think about it. That's how, I heard a guy say the other day, he said, you know, it's very interesting. He was talking about even our, our advertisements that happened during the day. And he said, 50 years ago, advertisements on television, even if you went back, uh, let's, let's say 30 years ago, even when I was a kid, advertisements on television during the day, what were they? They were things like ITT Institute. They were things like um, go to this program and get job skills and do all of this stuff. It was all about, it was designed toward people who were out of work, but who wanted to work. And he said, now think about today, what happens if you turn on the television during the day today? If you're sick and you're home, you got the flu and turn on, you know what comes on? Have you been injured in a... <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, everything is, it now is about, hey, it, it's geared toward... See, this mindset begins to change and, and focus on the things that gratify our flesh, our pleasures, the thing that we want to have. And luxury becomes something that we decide that we need to have. Now, I, if this is you, don't get your feelings hurt. You'll be all right. Are we willing to spend hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars on a vacation, but struggle to give $40 to $50 to help somebody in need? Hmm. You didn't get many amen. You don't get any, I didn't get any amen on that. That was great. <laughs> Think about it, guys. I mean, let's just, we just got to stop for a moment. We think to ourselves often, we think and go, I'm not living in luxury. I'm, don't anybody get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't want to have an, a decent car and we don't have all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. It's about what's your love level for it? What's your love level for, for what you want to have? I don't, I really, to my, you know, I have no way of understanding somebody that wants a, you know, a house with, 
with, you know, 15 bedrooms and all this other kind of, I, I just don't even understand it. And then you got to hire a maid to clean it. I, I don't understand it. I mean, I got a lot of friends, but most of y'all got somewhere to live. I mean, you don't, you don't need to come stay in one of my 15 bedrooms, you know, if I had 15 bedrooms. And, and, and man, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And, but we don't think of luxury. And I didn't think about luxury until we went to Uganda. And, you know, Bird and I are, you know, we're, we're sleeping in this, in this hotel room with mosquito nets hanging over us and no air conditioning and a fan blowing that, you know. But we, we did real well. We actually, we're, we're actually good. I, we're good staying in, you know, the same room. Now, they, some people, I don't know, I wouldn't want to stay in the same room because I think I'd wake up and they'd have the fan turned all the way over on them. But we're splitting the fan, you know, to blow in. And, and you know what? After, after, I mean, really from the get-go, it's just when we started seeing there's a different lifestyle out there. And so when, when we come home, we go, hey, we're going to go home and turn the air conditioning on. And, and we're not worried about hot water. And we're not worried about any of this stuff. We, man, it's a luxury. We live in luxury. Lust of the flesh, desiring to please and gratify fleshly desires. A lot of times this is what people, their focus, their entire focus is on it. And in fact, they will work in that direction. That's how they will live their life is, I mean, it's even, we've even got it out there. It's YOLO. You only live once, so you need to do everything that you want to do that gratifies you. But yet Jesus said that there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said that, that He didn't come to be served, but He came to serve. And He's the Son of God. Yes. Lust of the flesh. It's a struggle. What about lust of the eyes? Oh. Mm. Wanting the things that we see. Coveting. Pornography is one of the biggest right. challenges for lust of the eyes. I saw, a, I saw a statistic here the other day um, that someone had quoted, and it was a, high, a greater than 50% percentage of a polling of pastors that said they had an issue with looking at pornography on a weekly basis. Used to, we believed that pornography was simply a male issue. But now... It is both a male and a female issue, more so than ever before. You know, the, the problem with the lust of the eyes is that when, when our eyes are allowed to focus on things that are inappropriate, then the thoughts that begin to develop are also inappropriate. Look, you can't help if, if you're sitting there watching a decent television show or whatever else, and now... I mean, quite honestly, because well, young kids are out here young. My goodness, you turn, you're, you're sitting there watching a, a decent, maybe, if you can find a television show. You can be watching your favorite sports team. How about that? And you can't get for watching commercials for Viagra and everything else. Hello, guys. <laughs> right? Right? And Caleb's like, ah, ah, and, and I'm having to mute the, you know, we're trying to, right? I mean, you can't watch television. Even normal television. You can't watch the news and it stuff comes on. Hardy's commercials, my word, I never knew that eating a hamburger was so powerful. 
I've watched my wife for like a month after I first saw her. I'm going, she don't need a hamburger like that. <laughs> she just doesn't. I mean, there. That is not how people eat hamburgers. They jump ribbon down your face and stuff. It's not that way. You know what, though? See, that's the thing. It's kind of like a fish in water. You throw something out there to catch that fish, and you make something shiny, and you make something, and it's not real. It's not real. And that's what the problem with the lust of the eyes is, is that you begin to get this thought, and you begin to get this perception that's not real. And so you pursue after something because of some idea about what you believe that what you're seeing, it's, it's got to be different than what you really know is real. But you believe it's not going to be, so you begin to pursue that thing, and it's just like when you finally get onto it, it's just like that big old bass jumping on that lure and realizes, oh my Lord, that hurt, and it was fake. <laughs> but now I'm hooked. Alcohol, pornography, first time you, oh, just, just, just smoke a little weed. It's okay. I mean, it doesn't do all the bad stuff that this other stuff does. And you realize it's fake, and you're hooked, and now you don't know what to do. Because for some people, then it becomes a lifelong struggle, even after they get set free. Because the seed was planted, it is something that they have to monitor. I have a friend that all these years later, he still maintains an accountability partner and, and some men that he answers to because of pornography as a young man, and it has created a struggle the rest of his life. He knows he has to stay away from it because he was hooked at one point. One of the other things about the lust of the eyes is that our enemy does a good job in convincing us that we need to provide certain things, hear me, that we need to provide certain things for our families, thus driving us into actions that are destructive in pursuit of a false goal. Look, I tell you this one from having done it. I was talking to Brian, uh, Lucy's dad, the other night over at the new building, and, and, um, and I told him, I said, and Bird and Wendy, no, they were, they were around us a lot then, and I said, hey, I, I can remember... Um, now it would be about five, six years ago. I said, when I was so intent on trying to do a good job as a plant manager and I was working hard at it and I was working 100 to 102 hours a week while we had small group ministry going on, while we were leading worship and on Sunday mornings, while at one point we still had a Sunday school class going in. And so, you know, was spending all of that amount of time working and doing those things in order to, to pursue this goal that I thought we needed to have. Now, it wasn't that we had, because y'all know, I mean, we don't, have a, we don't have anything fancy. It's not like we got some, you know, I got some yacht, you know, or something like that. But... But in my mind, I needed to do that until my family looked at me and said, man, we want our dad back. And, and my wife looked and said, I, I need you to be home. 
Look, I, I don't I don't tell you that our enemy does a good job of you know of making us think we need to provide certain things because that oh I think y'all need look I've been there. We get we get it into our heads that I'm doing something good. I'm just working really hard to provide for my family, and in reality, you're not providing the things they need the most. Because we've gotten it into our heads. Well, my kids need to be able to do what other kids are doing. Well, I want to be able to do the things for my wife that other people can do for their wives. I want to be able to do this for my husband or for my... Man, it's a lie of the enemy that gets us convinced. And so we start doing things that cause us to destroy the relationships that are around us. And we don't even realize. We think, but I'm not lusting after something that's bad. I've told y'all before, that's the same issue that Eve faced in the garden. She looked at whatever that fruit was and saw that it was good. It was pleasant to the eyes and it looked to be good to eat, but it was something that God had told them don't do. They didn't look at it and it was some rotted thing, you know, with a worm hanging half out of it. That's not what they were looking at. She wasn't looking at the tree going, man, that is spoiled and rotten and it's terrible, but I'm going to take of it anyway. It looked good. It was good to eat, but it was something that God had said is not going to be good for you. Sometimes we go and tell ourselves, well, I'm not hooked on pornography. I'm not lusting after somebody else's husband or wife. I'm not let's see, we, and we go, ah, oh, so I don't have the lust of the eyes going on in my life. But yet there may be things that we are pursuing that we think are good and don't even realize the effect that it's having. We're not spending time with our kids. We're not spending time with our spouses. We're not spending time with our friends and other people around us. We're not sharpening each other. Hey, it's hard. We, we, everybody wants to you know, have their men's program, have that you know, iron sharpens iron concept. Well, great. That means you got to be around each other some, right? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Something's got to... Oh, you know, we want our ladies to grow together. Well, then you got to spend time together. So sometimes it may be that we're pursuing things that keep us so pushed to the limit long term. Hey, I know we're all feeling a little pushed to the limit right now because we're, we're in that final push. You know, it, it, that, that bubble that's moving, you know, through the process of us going this other bit, man, it's right there at the end and we're all, we're all like swole up about to bust. <laughs> going, we, we, but if that was what was going to be for the next 10 years of your life, man, you'd have to rethink. But sometimes, I know from my own experience, sometimes we just get so acclimated to that being reality that we don't even stop to realize and go, wow, maybe I am lusting after something that actually looks good. Not that it looks sinful, not that it looks, but it looks good, but it is affecting me negatively. Amen. The pride of life. The last, ambition and thirst after honor and applause. Seeking always to be approved and liked. Now this is a tough one because a lot of folks, they struggle with that everything that they do in life, they want somebody to tell them how good it was. I know, this is a tough one to talk about for people, but... You know, they always need everybody to know what they've done so that everybody will tell them how great it was on what they did. You know, 
Oh, look, you went and mowed the grass. Grass needed to be mowed. You know? I mean, that's part of it, right? You know? Right. It, I mean, if you come back and say, I mowed the grass! Great. You know? It's been like three weeks. It's about time. <laughs> you know? I, if I've, I know several of y'all, y'all own businesses and stuff. Man, I've had people that work for me that were that way. Man, that's a challenge. That is a challenge, you know? It's a... Uh, you know, when, when you need, when you got somebody constantly needs to be patted on the back, they constantly got to be told how great it was, you know, what they did. Now, reverse that and, and think about it from the other side. How many times when you're around somebody that does like that, that they constantly need to be patted on the back, you end up doing it sometimes, right? You pat them on the back just because, my Lord, if we don't pat them on the back, none of us are going to hear the end of this. They're going to get in a funk. And it's going to be terrible. So just go ahead and pat them on the back. That was a great, you know, you know, that was so good, you know. Right? And you know what? At some point, do you, do, let's be honest, do you ever get then where that, that you, it's not really that you're really congratulating them. You're just doing it because if I don't do this, right? That can become a challenge for people because people, constantly are looking for affirmation, particularly for young folks. Oh, that whole row was nodding, and then when I said that, they all went. <laughs> Look, it can be a challenge. Guys, I remember, but don't think it, that it goes away when you become an adult either. It can be a challenge because you're in a high-pressure situation in school every day. You know? Look, you're in a high-pressure situation because... Look, our society has started defining. They tell you what looks good. They tell you what, what dressing looks good. They tell you what haircuts look good. And half the time, what, what somebody says looked good two weeks ago, all of a sudden, it doesn't look, they don't think it looks good this week. And so if you're not careful, it, you've got to be strong enough and allow God to be powerful enough in your life, Amen. guys, to where that you don't need the approval of other people. God didn't make any mistakes in how he made you. God didn't make any mistakes in what abilities he's given you. God didn't make any mistakes in, in what color your eyes are, whether you have a tendency to be big or small. Amen. Um, I just want to give praise to the Lord for that. Um, <laughs> God has designed you to be the way that you are. There were, there were people that had struggles with this, though. Um, John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him being Christ. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, sometimes people just won't take a stand for Christ. Because the pride of life gets in the way. The pride of life tells them, I need, I, I don't want people, I don't want to get labeled as that weirdo. I don't want to get called out and be that, that person that, that everybody says, oh my goodness, they're like some religious nut and all that stuff. You know, they shared with me about Jesus. They, every time I tell them something's going wrong, they say, well, I'm going to be praying for that. In fact, I'd just like to pray for you right now. Hey, I tell you what, the world needs some more of that. The world needs some more of that. The world needs some more of us not worrying about the approval and the glory that comes from man, but instead the glory that comes from God, where that we say, hey, I'm willing to step out and, and, and put myself out here. Why? 
Because I don't want to be so worried about what somebody says or thinks about me in my pursuit of serving God. Luke chapter 16, verse 15 says this. He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, y'all know I, I, don't, I don't get, I try not to get highly political, you know, in, in, uh, in church or anything like that. But I want to tell you right now, there's some stuff being exalted in our, in our world and particularly in our political world that, man, I'm just telling you, it's an abomination before God. There's, there's just hateful things being said. There's, there's just statements and attitudes and actions that are, and the terrible thing is, is that the church world is falling massively in line with it. The church world that has been proclaiming that we need to love people like God loves people. The church world that has been, that has been taught that God's word says, how can you love God whom you haven't seen if you won't love your brother whom you have seen? The church world that has been taught that we need to show grace, we need to show mercy, and yet powerful, hateful things are being said, and the church world is going in mass and voting for it in these caucuses and everything. I'm just telling you. It, it, it's all you got to do is just read God's word and try to reconcile with God's word over to what's going on. A lot of what gets exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Someone, I had a pastor friend that actually he posted something on Facebook this morning to a group of pastors that I'm a part of. And man, when he posted this, it absolutely floored me. And I'm going to, I'm going to adapt it. I'm going to adapt it to to the local church setting because he did it on a denominational setting. I'll, let me, I'll just tell you what he said. He posted and he said, what would it be like if the next time that we were voting for a denominational leader, if the candidates started talking like our candidates for president are right now? He said, what if, what if in promoting them to be the leaders of an entire denomination and they came out and they were saying these things? And I thought, wow. Because see, some of the things that get promoted and exalted and praised in the world are not the things that God wants. Man, and you say, wait a minute, our world is it's terrible. It is. And honestly, the only answer is Jesus. But I also know what the Word says. The Word says that, that the hearts of many will wax cold as it nears closer and closer to Christ's return, that there are those who, will, who even will begin to call that which is good bad and that which is bad good. He said, wait a minute, are, are, are you saying that, that there's no hope? No, I'm telling you there is hope in Jesus. I'm telling you that Jesus is the, Jesus is the answer. Jason was playing that this morning when I was sitting back there. For the world today, above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. But I know this. I, 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 uh, I remember there's a quote from Martin Luther King. He made a great statement. He, he basically said, you, can't, you cannot legislate morality into people, but you can legislate actions. But here's the thing. The Bible says that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. It doesn't matter. Even sometimes if, if we control actions, if our heart is not right. Because what is it that you love? 
What is it that you love? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Let brotherly love continue. Now, I know how some of y'all love your brothers. I prefer you not demonstrate that brotherly love. Because uh, y'all are the ones that would be like, you know, when y'all were kids, y'all were sitting there looking at the ceiling fan and going, wonder what it feels like if you stick your hand up in the ceiling fan when it's running. And you go, hey, let me hold you up and you try it. <laughs> you know? See, I know how some of y'all love your brother. <laughs> now, you may turn around after, you know, and then when he starts screaming bloody murder, remember what you did? You go, hey, I'll give you $5 if you'll stop crying. I'll give you, just hush, just hush. No, no, no. No, it's okay. I promise you're all right. Now, I, no, that's my blood. That's not your blood. No, no. Y'all know, y'all know it was the truth. You go, no, 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 no. I hear mom coming. It, 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 tell her, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You grind my bike. You grind my bike. <laughs> remember? Yeah? Yeah, you know. Look, the brotherly love that he was talking about was the kind that was laying down your life. It was the kind that said, in honor, prefer your brother instead of yourself. It was the kind of brotherly love that said, look, I'm going to defend you. I'm going to stand alongside you. I'm going to hold you up when you're about to fall. I'm going to encourage you when you're doing well. I may have to kick you a little bit if you're not doing like you should. But I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here with you. He says, let that kind of brotherly love continue. <laughs> Peter experienced some questions about what do you love? When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Peter thinks he's done with this. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He thought he was done. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. All right, let's just go and tell it. Peter was like frustrated because he said to him the third time, he said, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. <laughs> you know what he's he's, he's kind of like look why do you keep asking me this you know everything I mean he was greedy he was frustrated you know everything you know that I love you and Jesus said to him feed my sheep you know what I took out of that in preparing this to think about what do you love your actions betray what you love. They just do. Your actions will tell. I've always heard people say, if you want to know what people love, go look at their checkbook. But I'm not sure that's even true because some things you can do and it doesn't cost any money. Right? Or maybe you already spent the money, you know, a year ago and you're just doing it now. Right? I mean, you may have bought the golf clubs two years ago and you spend, you know, 
all day Saturday and also well I need to hush I'll get on to you know some other hobby or something your actions betray what you love yes. I have a friend that um, I love I always forget to I always forget to do it I just my whole life I always use the term um, or heard the term and then used it myself later my wife my wife my wife he has this, in fact, it was Jeff that came and preached for you guys. When Jeff talks about Felicia, he always says, my bride. I always thought that was like the coolest thing. I just can't quite get it into my, into my vocabulary. <laughs> I, I, but it's just, you know, not that I don't want to, but it's just I'm so used to talking to my wife, my wife. But his mindset Behind that, you know, my bride. It makes me think, you know, how were you when you first got married? Now, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's. It just depends on how you got married. But, <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, only no shotguns involved. Just stop it. You know, when I first got married, man, I was excited. I, right, man, you love the idea of your bride. At some point, you know, in your mind, most people might move from being your bride and your groom to being your husband and, and being your wife. I always like when I hear him say that. Why? Because it tells me his, how he feels about her. And the longer that over the years that I've been around them, his actions tell me what he loves. And he loves that woman. He just does. His bride. I can say I love my kids, but do my actions say that I love them? I can say that I love you, but do my actions say then that, that I love you? I can say I love God, but do I spend time with him? Do I talk to him? Do I read the letters that he wrote and put in this book and provided to me? See, Jesus, in telling Peter this, he says, do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, I think, first. Well, then do you love me? Yes, then tend my sheep. Do you love me? You, look, you know I love you. You know everything. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. You know what Jesus was telling him? If you love me, show me. Not only if you love me, show me. Because you're right, I do know everything. I already know your heart. If you love me, show other people. Yes. See, if you love me, then what is important to me will be important to you. That's what Jesus was saying to him. And he says, and what did I do? He says, I'm the shepherd that has come for the sheep. Interestingly enough, he turns around and says, e even though I became a sheep, think about this. He always describes us as being the sheep and describes him as being the shepherd, right? But what does the Bible describe Jesus as being? In one point, it says that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Wait a minute, I thought he was the shepherd. Oh, y'all never thought about this, have you? We sing a song, He Became Sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross, a love so amazing. Jesus, Messiah, the one who was the shepherd, became one of the sheep 
and was slain to deliver the flock. He said, I've already shown you. I say I love you. And so my actions backed it up. Because God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were yet in sin, that he sent Jesus, that he loved us. He sent Jesus to die for us. What do you really love? How do we get to this point where God wants us? I want to give you two scriptures. Romans 12 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't love the world, the things of the world. Don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And when you're transformed by the renewal of your mind, then you'll be able by testing to discern what's the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 51, David said this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But he didn't stop there. He said, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Side note, when you start to love things that are not God, you lose the joy of your salvation. And you know why? You know why you stop coming to church? You know why you stop hanging out with Christian people? You know why you start? Because you don't get joy out of it anymore. Because you don't have, as David said, you don't have a clean heart and you don't have a right spirit. And so the, the worst thing is for you then to be around. In, in that state, in your mind, the worst thing is to go be around those people that are all talking about how much they love Jesus and all that. Right? <laughs> I don't want to be around all those people. David said, man, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. And then restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And then what happens? Because I get back in a right alignment, because my heart is right, my spirit is right. See, we love things out of our, out of our heart, out of our... My, all that, he says, when all that gets right, then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He understood when the matters of my heart get right, then I'll start serving you. If you start to recognize, it's kind of like one of the barometers, one of the gauges on the dash in your car. When our heart gets right, then we start, it starts showing up in how we serve. If you find yourself starting to no longer serve God, if you find yourself no longer wanting to engage the lost, if you find yourself no longer having compassion on other people, then maybe it's because your heart's not clean and you don't have a right spirit, which is showing up then in your loving the wrong things. What do you love today? God, I help you make a change in that. Let's pray.